You can all turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we're our second uh, message from our series in the book of Matthew. And uh, my title is When Kingdoms Collide. It just sounded kind of violent and everything, and I kind of liked it. And it made a cool graphic. But uh, what we're talking about in the book of Matthew and the reason uh, we're looking at the book of Matthew is really important. Um, so picture yourself as a person. Just hypothetical story here. Uh, picture yourself as a person and you grow up and you do all your kid things. You go to school, you're in a family, you're in a home and you kind of do all your kid things. And one day you, uh, you finish school at, or finish high school and then you go away to college and uh, you get educated and uh, you find someone who kind of likes you and you kind of like them and um, you get married and you, and you know, and how things go, and and then you have a son or a daughter, and you, you you as a person, this person, you you might have a religious background. You grew up in some kind of religion, or, or you might not. You might not. You might have no. So I realize this is sort of vague, and that kind of covers everybody here. Okay, you're a person. You grow up. You get married. You have kids. A kid, or maybe you don't. Or and you have a religious background, or you don't have a religious background. But this is the deal. This is the deal. Uh, when life hits, and when you finally get to the place where you go, so what's going to happen? What's going to happen when I die? What? What? Why is this life here? What What is this life all about? What, what is the meaning of life? What is not just the meaning of life, but why do I exist and why am I here? And what am I supposed to fill my days with? I've tried all kinds of things and I've done all kinds of things. And yet it doesn't seem like it matters much. Why? What What is it that I'm missing? If you're a religious type and you have some type of religious background or structure, most of the time, uh, we just go back to that. We just go back to that. You know, I grew up in some religious system where I had, you know, the list of things to do and I had these five things that I do. And so I'll just go back to doing those and I'll try to find some meaning in doing stuff. Uh, and chances are, you know, you, you can do those things. You can go down that list of things to do. And maybe there's a sense where that'll make you feel a little bit better about what's going on. And maybe that'll be this deal where you go, oh, I feel really good about myself. In fact, I'm better than everybody else because I do these five things. And I get to say, oh, yeah, I am better than everybody else. And maybe that will be where it ends for you. For others who maybe don't have uh, any background and when they come to that place where, you know, most of the time they start grabbing at things. They start grabbing at things. They say, well, you know, I look and I see people that seem like they're having a good time uh, because they have money. Because money buys you stuff and the stuff will make you happy when you get the money so you can buy the stuff. And so we chase after money and stuff and if we can finally see clear of that, we realize that that won't do it. And so sometimes we'll swap things and we'll we'll search for something. And what does this have to do with the book of Matthew? I'll tell you. Um, in the midst of that, in the midst of life, in the midst of our temporal world down here and our growing up 
getting married, having kids, whatever we're doing. In the midst of that, Jesus in the book of Matthew presents himself as the king, the king. And as he shows in the book of Matthew, he says, I'm, I'm the king and I have a kingdom. It's different. It's different. You, you know, some of you have a religious background and the original readers of the book of Matthew had a religious background as well. They were mostly Jews. And they had that religious structure. They had things to do and things not to do. And Jesus says, let me tell you about my kingdom. It's different than the one, that list thing you got going there. It's very different, very different. Other people had said, well, we have a king. We have this king or that king. And he says, oh, you might have another king, but I am the king. I am the king. And so as we look to the book of Matthew, I hope in the weeks to come and even months to come, that we will see clearly that Jesus is the king, the better king, and his kingdom is totally different than the one that we may have grown up with or the one that we're seeking in other things. Matthew chapter 1, I hope you're there. Um, I wanted to say Merry Christmas to you as well. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you verse 18 through the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary uh, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. God, I ask that you would take our time, that you would... Uh, clarify in our hearts uh, that which you desire to speak to us this morning from your word. God, I ask that you would have moldable hearts in us uh, that we might see you clearly and walk with you faithfully. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we look to God's word this morning, I love the way this uh, passage starts in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Um, just lays it out there. This is what happened. This, this is how it is. I think that uh, often we come to passages like this and our scientific mind who has been educated and we have degrees and we understand about biology and human anatomy and we got it all figured out and we know logic and we're... Uh, pretty smart on top of all that. We say, I don't know if I believe this. I don't know if I believe this. 
And my question to you, if you say, I don't know if I believe this, why don't you believe it? Some of you would say, well, it can't happen that way. And I said, well, why? Why can't it happen that way? That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. And I'd say, how do you know? And you say, because it's never worked that way before. And I know. And I'd ask you, were you there? Were you there? Because the point of the scripture is this, that we have a message from God. I want to tell you about the Bible just briefly. And maybe it'll be helpful for you to think about this when we come to this passage. God wrote a book. God wrote a book. And what he did was he brought it to men. And as they wrote, he made sure that they shared his message, his message, that they wrote it down. And let me ask you a question. If you have something really important to say or a really important message, uh, what do you do? If something's really important to you and it's really important. I know that um, if you have a really important dish at your house and uh, and it's you're doing dishes, um, Moms, do you let the kids do the dishes? You may not even let them clear the table, right? You're like, you can clear all the table, all the plastic. You, you got that? This dish is special. I'll take this one. And you say, well, whose turn is it to do the dishes? I, I'll do this dish. Uh, who's going to put it away? I'll put this away. And it goes in a cabinet with one of those little things in case an earthquake happens, then it won't come sailing out, right? Why? Because it's special to you. It's important. If it's important to you, just a dish, how important is the message that God intended? And so as you look at this, it's God's word. Why is it God's word? Because he had a, a message and he wrote it through men. And how do we know it? You say, oh, I don't trust men. I don't trust men either. I don't trust men either. They, you know, they're sloppy. They do all okay. But when God is looking over their shoulder, as it were, in the Holy Spirit, this is God's intention and he's not going to allow us allow us. And so we have a record. And he says about the son of Jesus, he says, this is how it happened. <laughs> this is how it happened. And so we may struggle, but this is how it happened. Okay. This uh, section here tells it from the perspective of what Joseph must have been. If you in the book of Luke, you might look over there later. Uh, Mary's perspective on what went on. And so as you look at Joseph, you can think, especially the young men here today, uh, this, this is an interesting what happened in the life of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus, verse 18, took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal, uh, when you might even translate it this way for some of you, the word engagement engagement. It's not really the same, especially in our culture. Uh, betrothal in the Bible, biblical times, was usually about a year. And uh, it was usually arranged marriages. Uh, how do you feel about that, by the way? Good or bad? Arranged marriages? Sometimes as parents, you say, oh, absolutely. We could do this, you know, we could do this. But then you realize, uh, you know, uh, the responsibility there and you're not so sure that's a good idea. You still want to be able to blame your own kids for their own decisions right there, you know. Uh, but betrothal, so probably arranged marriage, probably parents were involved. But the betrothal period was one of a, 
most likely a year long, uh, where the man kind of got his life together to take himself a wife and that they would be together in one home. During this betrothal period, they were seen as married. It was a legal uh, binding together that had just not come uh, to completion in the marriage ceremony. Also, they did not live in the same house, nor did they have a relationship of a man and wife in marriage. So they were separate. You know, they were separate yet committed. Okay? And as we look at this, uh, during this time, it says, before they came together, before they were intimate, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're talking from the perspective of Joseph, okay? This is um, verse 19, and her husband, Joseph. What would you think, man? It, Mary and uh, Joseph, Mary was probably a young teenager. He was probably a latter-year te- teenager, right? He, and... Uh, what do people know at that age? What did you know when you were that age? Uh, it's interesting. I, I won't. I kind of will blow the cover of the young men here present today. Young men don't know anything. Don't know anything at all. But there's a perception that we feel confident and we give off the that we know everything. That we know everything. And what we're looking for is things that we're confident about, and we just kind of plow through and try to give off this air of confidence. You can imagine Joseph, a young man, maybe early 20s, uh, late teens. Uh, he goes, okay, so my parents have kind of hooked this up. Betrothal, I'm happy. I'm getting excited. We're going to get married. I'm trying to get my act together during this betrothal time. And my wife is pregnant. And it's not my baby. I know that. That's the only thing I know. That's the only thing I know. Um, well, what am I supposed to do now? How's this going to work out? What, what am I supposed to do? I, I, I feel the the confusion of a young man, a simple young man who hasn't experienced much of life, and he's going, what do I do? It tells us a little bit about Joseph, very little. In verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You know what I think that means? I think that he wanted to please God. He wanted to please God. He wanted to do what was right. You know, he may not have known what that was. He may have been totally confused and and feeling this sense of, oh, I'm just overwhelmed at everything. What should I do? But he wanted to do what was right. He wanted to do what was just. And so what's the answer he comes up with? Divorce her quietly, trying to not put her out to shame. Shame was what she deserved if she'd been unfaithful and now she was pregnant. There's a sense of putting her out and and the idea of pointing at her and saying, this is a dirty woman. And yet Joseph, wanting to do what was right, it says he resolved to divorce her quietly. To somehow make it quiet and yet do what was right and separate himself from this dirty woman. Joseph uh, was trying to do what was right. Um, And so I love that. I love that that's who Joseph was. I know often Mary is thought to be perfect. She's not, by the way. Mary was not perfect. Um, 
But also Joseph, God chose him as well to be the father uh, of of Jesus, and he too wanted to do what was right. So um, it's interesting too for young men. Uh, for the most part, we like to do moments of greatness, but the rest of the time we like to keep it low key, right? And not draw attention. And so even uh, you know Joseph probably he's betrothed, he's getting his house together. He says, I'm just going to do these simple things and everything's going to be great. And now uh, he's got this scandal on his hands that he's a young man trying to sort out. And not only that, um, couldn't be a greater spotlight than this. In verse 20, it says this, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Okay, we don't know like if that was something where he was put down in such a way where uh, for a nap or a night. But Joseph was struggling and in the midst of his struggle, resolved that he was going to do this quietly, divorce her quietly so that she would not experience the shame uh, that came with the, the sins that he assumed that she had done. As a. Uh, as you look at this and uh, you you hear, you can imagine what he felt like. And so uh, in the midst of this dream, an angel breaks into his sleep with a message. Fearful thing, obviously, uh, you know, we've struggled in dreams before. I know that probably all of us at one time or another have woken up in the night fearful of what has been happening in our in our sleep. But in Joseph's sleep, an angel speaks to him. And this is what he says in in verse 20. He says this, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, do not fear to take Mary. Uh, That was part of his deal. He, He says, I don't know if I can handle this. It may have been also fear of the angel speaking to him. We don't know all that he was fearing, but... The angel quiets him in a shepherding sort of way and he says, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph goes, Oh, I get it. No, he didn't say, I get it. I'm pretty sure he was still, as he woke up, he was still going, Whoa, what's going on here? As uh, as he gets this message, he gets this message that says something that's never happened before is happening to you and Mary. Something that is from the Holy Spirit. That child that is in your wife is not because of some infidelity and immorality. It has been placed there by the Holy Spirit. That she has become pregnant, not because of filth or even natural marriage relationship, but it's from God. Joseph gets a message that would be hard for any young man to understand or to grasp. A message from an angel that this is what's going on in your wife that you're betrothed to. The message goes on in verse 21. She will bear a son. Hey, this 
turning out okay, right? You think about where, this happens often when God's at work in your life. You, you, you think, what did Joseph think? Oh, you know, my young marriage, like a, a betrothed, it's, it's falling apart. Everything's awful. And then he goes to sleep and this messenger comes. Everything's great. And it's not just great. It's God's doing a work going to be in your marriage that you can't imagine that no one's ever seen before. And you're going to have a son. It, he's going, boy, this is turning out okay for me here. I, to have a son. To have a son. And then he adds uh, another detail. He says, and you will have a son. Uh, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus? That's not my name. Maybe this angel messed up and he was meant, meaning to go to Jesus' house. Because in our culture, you know, I, I was thinking Joseph Jr. We call him Little Joe, you know. Uh or Joe Jr. or something like that. You know, that's what we do. Or maybe it would be my father's name or, or an uncle or, or a family name. We don't have anybody named Jesus. But he also explains why this name is to be different. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Um, one, of the, one of the elders, distinguished elders of Bear Valley Church, his wife asked me yesterday, he said, well, pastor, are you going to wow us tomorrow? And I said, absolutely. If you're not wowed by tomorrow's message, something's wrong with you. You like how I turned that on her? Uh, uh, that's the wow right there, what I just read. Did you get it? Did you get it? So uh, there's this miraculous, and that's exciting and uh, amazing, and it's hard to understand, and you just go, wow. But you go on and you say, why is Jesus being born? Why is this happening? In the dream, the angel says to Joseph, he says, look, your wife's okay. In fact, she's more than okay. The Holy Spirit has brought her a child. It's going to be a son. You're going to name him Jesus. I realize that's not the name of the family, but he's going to be Jesus. You know why? Because he is going to save his people from their sins. That's the good stuff right there. You know, I was, uh, I was in the back, you know, sometimes uh, between uh, the second service, I'll feel my voice getting uh, dry. And so I'll go out and get a drink. And I was standing in the back there and I was kind of looking out at, at you all. and kind of smiled to myself and I said, look at all those sinners. <laughs> look at them all. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? I was looking at and so, some of them. Some of you I was looking at and I go, I totally know what sins they struggle with. You know, they're proud, selfish. You know, I bet you they lie some too. You know, I, I was thinking about it and then, you know, I was thinking about myself and I go, yeah, me too. This is a great message for people like us. This is a great message. Because this is why Jesus came. You know, you look at all the, the amazing details of the birth of Christ. And in the midst of it, he says, I'm doing something special. You're going to have a son. His name is Jesus. Because he is going to come and save his people from their sins. And this is the great message of Christ. Is This is why he came. 
as we look at uh, this passage, it goes on and uh, we look at verse 22. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. It says, Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What the angel told him is that, that his family, his little family, his wife Mary and the child that was to be born, was a fulfillment of prophecy. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. That God is... As you look through the scripture and you see his history poured out and the plan of God, we looked at it last week in the lineage, right? That the lineage of Christ, his family members, that they were from the uh, descendants of Abraham as well as David, as well as David, as well as some dirty people as well that had been marked. But you look at and you say, there's a lineage there. That's part of his plan. That Jesus just didn't happen. Sometimes we look at God and we, we think that he's kind of this bumbling professor in his laboratory and something blows up and he goes, oh, won't do that again. Got to do something totally different. Uh, how am I going to fix that? I don't know. Send my son Jesus. That'll work. You know, that, that's not it at all. The plan of God is being worked out in the person of Jesus. And you look at the lineage and it comes to a place where Jesus is born. And you see, boy, that's all part of his plan. And as you look at the prophecies of the Old Testament, some of us struggle with prophecies, me being one. Uh, it's so hard. It's so difficult. Sometimes it, it's complicated where there's a fulfillment in the time it was written near to there, as well as in the future. Some have been fulfilled. Some haven't been fulfilled yet. And we're waiting on those. And we look at that and we go, well, how? and it just sounds a little bit different. But, but look at this. The angel said, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is why it happened. We look back and you can look back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. And it says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That was written hundreds of years before. And the, the angel is connecting. He says, that prophecy is fulfilled in your son this one you'll call Jesus. He's connecting it. Some of us think that uh, the Old Testament prophecies are kind of like a map or a, that you need like a decoder or something like that. You know, a, a special thing like a um, Raiders of the Lost Ark or something like that, you know, or something you'll get in the send something back from a cereal box and you'll get it and it'll help you figure it out, the, the, the message. It's not like that. It's God reminding us that he has a plan and that he was encouraging the people of that day and everyone who will read that his plan will be fulfilled. And at times he points us and he says it was fulfilled right there. And so as we look at that fulfillment, we can look to other promises as well and say, God is at work. He is working in the world and he is bringing about his plan to come to fruition. There's two things about uh, this uh, prophecy as well as the fulfillment that really should blow our minds. The first one, he points to the virgin again. 
And he says, uh, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. As, as we think of that, we say, well, that just doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen. Um, I want to bring out just briefly a, a theological point that connects us. And when you look at the, the family of Joseph, I want to tell you that, that no one is born of a virgin, right? That, that, that doesn't happen. They have a dad and a mom. Uh, that, that's the way that God has planned this. And everyone who has been born, that's w- what's going on, uh, save Adam and Eve, right? And so as you look at this, you say, this is different. This is peculiar. But there's a theological reason for that as well. As you look to Adam and Eve, they lived in a perfect world and they, there was no sin. And then what happened? What happened? Eve took of the fruit and she, she understood that it was to be good, though it wasn't to be touched. She partook and then she gave to her husband. And at the moment she gave to her husband, sin entered the world through his sin. And so all who have come from or have had their fathers have produced a sinful line and sinful generation forever. It just has happened. And yet I want to point you to something in Genesis chapter 3, something interesting that will connect with what we're talking about right now. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So Genesis chapter 1 and 2 talk about creation. Genesis 3 is the sin of man, fall of man, right? And then once sin enters the world, everything's touched. Everything's touched immediately by sin. And there's a sense of death that comes to everything right away. And there's, in the midst of talking about God revealing to Adam and Eve what it is that's going to happen he says something else uh, that's really called the first gospel where it talks about Jesus coming. It's in verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. I want to point something out that's peculiar there. It's her offspring. It's her offspring. Now, when you look at the Old Testament, most of the time they talk about these things. What do they say? Son of Abraham, son of Isaac and Jacob, son of David, right? It's all connected through the Father. As is sin, it comes down through there. And yet, in the beginning of the book of Genesis, right after the fall of man, he says, I want to explain to you that there's going to be uh, this fight against Satan, you and and what you have done in this situation and the offspring of a woman. Who's it speaking of? It's speaking of Jesus. Speaking of Jesus. We'll talk about this in a moment once again. I want you to think about that. So there's the virgin. The second thing, and maybe even more mind-blowing than the mere fact of a virgin giving birth, the second point is probably equally, if not greater, uh, of just, I, I can't imagine it. It's this, that in Matthew chapter 1 it says, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
God with us. If they would have read it, they would have said, well, you know, um, it's amazing that the son is to be born, but it's even more amazing that he really came. <laughs> That he really came, that he would be God with us, that he would not be separate from us in our sinful world, separate from our foolishness, separate from caring about us and touching us and, and walking with us and experiencing life down here. Why would God come to earth? And yet it was part of the plan, plan of God. That he would just not love us from a distance, that he'd be intimately involved and not just intimately involved in the details of our life and be with us, but that he would send his son as a visible representation that God is with us. Amazing. Well, uh, this thought concludes in verse 24 and 25, where it says this. When Joseph woke from his sleep, I don't know what his expression on his face, you know, he comes to and he, he kind of goes, what just happened? Wow. You know, I, I went to bed last night and I had it all figured out. We're going to plan B, the better plan, uh, the plan of God. It says, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she gave birth to a son. He called his name Jesus. Simple obedience. You know what? Um, that's what we want to do, right? As God interrupts, and God does interrupt our plans, not through dreams and, uh, you know, looking up in the sky and seeing clouds and this and that, but he speaks to us through his word. His spirit is intimately involved in what we're doing. He is not saying, good luck to you down there. He's intimately involved. And as we pray to him and as we seek him, as we read his word, he is going to direct our paths. It may not be in our timetable. It may not be uh, when we want it, but we'll be him leading us. And that's what you want, right? You want someone who'll march to his orders. Someone to follow in his footsteps. So Joseph did. I want to tie this up with three thoughts um, this morning. The first one uh, regarding the virgin birth and just you wrapping your mind around that. Um, this is the way it happened. This is the way it happened. Um, I, I want to encourage you not to allow your scientific, logical mind to be the final verdict of what can and can't happen. We do that sometimes, right? I don't understand it, so it couldn't be true. You sure? There's a lot of things you can't understand, and it's still true, right? Uh, most of you don't even know how your car works. And you're going to hop in it right after here, and you're going to turn the key, and like magic, it's going to get you home. I'll be one of those. Um, there, there's so many things we don't understand. Don't, don't apply whether you can understand it to the Word of God and say, if I can't understand it, it must not be true. Don't do it. In fact, I want to encourage you to do this. shouldn't check your brain in at the door either, but you should make sure that it's instructed and informed by the Word of God, not the other way around. I think so often we come to God's word and we say, 
I'm going to see if that's right. Do it the other way around, right? Let the Word of God instruct you if the life that you're living is right. Secondly, um, as I was thinking really about the last two messages, today and last week, uh, when I think of Jesus, He was like us, but He also wasn't like us. Right? He was like us, but He wasn't like us. Last week we looked at the lineage, and some of you know your lineage. You know who your parents are, you know who your grandparents are, and where they came from. And you can go back and you you can see your lineage. And, and in the same way, Jesus, we have that for Him. We know who His family members That's That's like us. We're a lot like that. That said, when it comes to the virgin birth, we go, whoa, I don't know anything like that. You know, we're alike, but we're not alike. The reason we're not alike, and we're going to be looking at that this in the months to come, is that Jesus was sinless from conception, okay? There was no inheriting uh, from his forefathers sin as we are. And there was no sin as he was born either. And so when you look at Christ, you must see him. He was a lot like us, but he wasn't like us as well because he came to save us. Thirdly, I just want to tell you this. As you look at this, I want you to see the plan of the father to send his son. I love it. I love the plan of the Father. Because you can see from from Genesis all the way through Revelation was his love was working out his plan. And what was his plan? His plan was not something just stumbled upon and he's making it up as he goes along, but through the lineage and the prophecy and all these things, what he is doing, he is bringing the events together. Why? So that Jesus would save sinners like the sinners of Bear Valley Church. I love it. The plan of God working out, and He is including us as we come to Him in faith. This is why Jesus came. This is why He was born around these circumstances. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for this morning. I pray that if any are here that don't know Jesus and don't have their sins forgiven, Lord, today would be their day that they would seek you, that they would come in humble faith and repentance, not that they understand all the details, but they understand they need Jesus, the King, that they need to live for his kingdom. God, I pray that for Bear Valley Church, Lord, that we are not people that are building our own kingdom or seeking after other kings, but that we are chasing after you, experiencing the the goodness that comes from being in relationship that we were meant for. Thank you this morning uh, for the message from your word. Pray your Holy Spirit continues to apply it in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.